Welcome to our new series called There Is No Planet B. As COP26 descends on Glasgow, this is going to be a series of discussions with climate activists. In the first episode, we have Marlene Halliday interviewing Commonweal Head of Strategic Development, Robin McAlpine. If you'd like to watch the video version of this interview, it's on Indie Live Radio's YouTube channel. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to this broadcast. It's coming to you courtesy of Indie Live Media. My name is Marlene Halliday, and I'm here today to introduce the first of our new series. It's called There Is No Planet B. We're hoping that the title of that is self-apparent with the UN Blue Zone now up and running, more or less, down the road in the centre of Glasgow, and delegates for COP26 are arriving as we speak. You may have noticed, I, I certainly have, that there's a, a fairly commonly used phrase at the moment by in, in the media, which is, this may be our last chance. Are we going to take it? We're going to be talking about all of that today, but also in other interviews to come over the next couple of weeks. But today, I'm very pleased to say our guest is Robin McAlpine. Robin. Hi, thank hi, you. hi. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on this. We've had you before, but it was in a, a different kind of studio, an actual well, studio. Back in the days when you could get... <laughs> back in the days, uh, yeah, back well, in the days. Back, back in those days, you get donuts with your indie life. Oh, I know, but... I know. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Be really looking forward to, to to talking to you about this. There's much more to talk about than we've got time for, but you know, let's let's make a start on it. And I thought maybe we, where we could start off is is just talking about um, the kind of feelings that, well, you feel myself and other other people about this whole situation that the world's in. And listen to the TV or or look around, and we see what's happening in the world and the science of why it's happening is pretty straightforward. The science of what to do to reverse it is also pretty straightforward. The will to do that is the thing that is lacking so far, I, I think. We'll see if you agree with that. There's political will. There's also just individuals will, you know, whether you and I and, and other folk are willing to change our lifestyle a bit to, to help things out. Uh, and then there's what we all feel about it. And I go from the whole spectrum that I go along at this morning. Michael Howard, the old former Tory Home Secretary, I think he was, he's on BBC and he's sitting there in his armchair saying, well, I don't think we should be listening to what the young people are saying. It's not... It's not for them to decide what comes out of COP26. It's, um, you know, we shouldn't be giving their, what they say too much weight, at which point I'm back to my usual yelling at the TV and, you know, a lot of irritation in me and exasperation with it. So there's all that at one end of the spectrum. And then in a different kind of way, I often, I, I know I, I fall into a sort of grief for what's going on and what's happening to the world about us and the other species and the planet and indeed our uh, humanity itself and i think grief's a kind of a, a it's painful but it's a kind of clear clean kind of emotion i mean i think with grief you can move on and you can do something mm -hmm. me shouting at the tv isn't really very good for anyone couldn't be where do you oh, kind of God. come in if i was going <laughs> to describe this there was a thing that happened when i was a kid for it was a summer holiday i was probably about eight or nine i've been nagging my mum for ages to let me make real lemonade. 
So she gave me a big bag of lemons. And I, I can't remember how I did it all, but you did, I had the instructions and the sugar in it. And I put it in a liquidizer and a liquid. Now, I'd been arguing about this for ages, right? So I'd been really pushing to try and get me lemonade made. And I made it in the thing. I was so chuffed with myself. And as I took it off to bring it over, a bit came loose at the bottom of the liquidizer. And my lemonade started pouring out. And I didn't have anything prepared to put it into. So I was dashing about trying to find it. And as I was dashing about trying to find a jug to put it into, it just kept leaking and leaking. And I was watching it go lower and lower. And I thought, is there going to be any left by the time I'm done? That's how I feel. I'm watching what's going on. I know it can be fixed. I know we need to fix it. And I'm watching TikTok, TikTok, the time's passing. And it feels like <laughs> the lemonade of our last chance of saving the planet is pouring out the bottom and we're watching it happen. Yeah. And if it's, you know what I was going to describe it as? Right now, it feels like five plumbers in a room with the water rising up to their waists because there's a, a leak in the pipe and they're all saying to each other, someone should really do something about that pipe. To which I would say, yeah, no, you're five plumbers. Get on with it now and do it. So yeah. I, I get that sense of, I think it's worse than grief. Grief. There's a comfort in grief. I yeah. feel despair. Yeah. I feel yeah. despair is what I feel. And I watch all of this happening. I just, just before we started, I was just writing a piece. And um, I'm trying to point out to people that the, the if you think the climate change debate or the debate about what to do with it is being driven by climate scientists, you would be wrong. It's being driven by oil, oil and gas. It's been driven by big electricity producers. It's been driven by equity investment funds. And they're all promising magical solutions and great ways. Every single time you hear air source heat pump, carbon capture and storage, or blue hydrogen, right? You're not talking to an environmentalist. You're talking to a corporate lobbyist. Because those are not the solutions, broadly, the science would suggest we pursue. Oh. Yeah. But that's what we're talking about. So what's happened here is, having spent decades trying to suppress the evidence in climate change, lobbyists like the big oil lobby have now decided, oh, well, it's too late for that. Let's subvert it. Let's turn it into another opportunity for us to mint a bit more money. So I feel despair. I sometimes feel resignation. And the worst of it is, right, so I'm getting on a bit now. That's uh, This Christmas, I shall turn uh, 49, so I'm getting old. I reckon I've only maybe got another reliable 30 years. I, I don't know, something like that maybe. I, I'll survive it. Right? I'm gonna, almost certainly going to survive climate change. But, you know, when I'm sending my kids off to school this morning in their Halloween gear, I don't know if they're going to survive it. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, if it was just me, I'd almost be giving up by now. I'd almost be saying, oh, well, you know, I'm going to make it. I'm going to survive. Uh, let's just enjoy ourselves in the road out. But I don't feel I can do that. And I feel that I've got to do something about it. But I, at the same time, I feel myself banging my head against the wall because, you know, we all we did at Commonweal, all we did was spend a year trying to do some serious work on how you measuring the problem in Scotland and making a serious evidence-based assessment of how you fix it. But, you know, we get our launch piece in the Herald and then nobody's ever mentioned it again in the media. Well, they do yeah. bits and pieces. Meanwhile, every second day, you've got Scottish Power telling you why air source heat pumps are great. Aye, because they shift the entire energy heating market to you. 
straight into your pockets. That's where it all goes. Um, yeah. I mean, heat pumps only produce three times the if they're working at a good. They only produce an air source heat pumps only produce three much times as much power as you put into it. So if you're getting three kilowatts of heat, you're paying one kilowatt in electricity, and that's even if you're not topping it up. So, yeah, yeah. so it, it's a degree of despair. And I'll tell you something else, quite a high degree of anger because what really bothers me is the extent to which everyone in their dug is now wrapping themselves up in the, the language of concern. And I want to say, right, well, if you're that concerned, why are you not doing something? Because what we're doing, and I mean this at almost every level, the only people that I think have done anything are individuals. People have made bigger changes to their lives than government. Government's just tweaking at the edges. I know people all over the place now, just ordinary people who are saying, you know something, I'm going to try those shampoo bars because there's no plastic in them. Or, you know, I'm just going to reuse this or try it again. Or, and what's really interesting is I'm bumping into people who, for anyone that doesn't know, um, I may be political and professionally, but I live in a small town. I keep a firewall between politics and my home life. So, you know, I don't, in, in my home life, we don't, people through here, we don't spend our whole time talking politics by any manner of means. And what's really interesting to me is people who I would think would have shrugged cynically, say, five years ago and said, oh, that's just them hippie greens, are now saying to me, oh, we need to do something. You know, I've, I've done this or I've done that or I, I'd really like to shift an electric car if I could afford it. Or Now, that's progress. I mean, they, they've moved further than governments have so far. Not far enough, but then again, there's only so far you can move. There's not, there's not much you can actually do as an individual. It's not down to the individual. And so I feel this anger. Suddenly everybody's mm, yeah. announcing, well, they're all announcing climate emergencies. And I want to grab them and pin them against the wall and say, what exactly do you mean by emergency? Do you mean declare it and then wait 30 years because that doesn't sound very emergency to me and that's where we are the the one that causes me more despair than anything the one that really i think it hurts me is when someone says net zero by 2050 yeah take a quick breather to just just translate into that what it means what it means is we are going to keep making things worse and worse and worse for the next 30 years, but then we'll stop. That, that's what net zero by 2050 means. Net zero means um, we're still pumping carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, but somehow we're taking it back out at a similar rate or something like that. So what that means is once you hit net zero, that's your neutral. You're not making it better. You're just not making it yeah, worse anymore. Exactly, exactly. You've just kind of cut. You've cut down the the, the acceleration. You've cut down yeah. that bit, but you're still at a far too high a level. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. It's daft. It's crazy. And you've got you got people talking about all this about that's even assuming that they're serious about it. Thirty years. I mean, I've got to say, right. So as this is being recorded, I am and uh, it's like Kevin Costner was a visionary because I am living in Waterworld here just now. <laughs> uh, we're up in the hill, but the, just in a wee bit from us, the road was absolutely flooded. And if I say that, um, you know, I stay out in bigger, the bigger burn, it's the kind of burn that you can cross and don't get your kilt wet. You know, it's no, <laughs> it's, this is a, this is not um, the Clyde. And bigger burn, 
there's a fort because there's a there's a one of the places in bigger to get to the easiest way to go is through this fort. Now this fort, I mean, it doesn't splash very high when you get through it. There's no water in it, and someone tried that yesterday, and their car <laughs> got picked up in the current and oh, washed. Wow. 200 metres yeah. down Bigger Burn until yeah. it hit a pedestrian footbridge. As far as I can see, I think everybody here is unified in their view that they've never seen it like this. When, I mean, we've had floods, of course, but this is, I've never seen the extent of the flooding, and I've seen some bad floods up here. Yes, um, and yeah, and, and it's when something like that happens that you really realise the force that water has isn't it like it oh, sweep a, to sweep right. a car away I, i'm I, I just do not think people understand water right so the definition of a ton is a square meter of water yeah right a yeah. square meter that's bugger all so if you take something about the size of your the cabinet underneath your work surface you know a double cabinet under your surface, fill that with water that's a ton um water is see when you see it it is utterly, when you see numbers calculated in this, one of the most amazing things in nature, but only if you know the numbers, is, is to watch a large wave out in the sea. The power that's contained in that is petrifyingly big. To move, I mean, to move one ton for a mile, think about how hard that would be. And that is one square meter of water. Think about a wave. We are disrespectful of nature at our very, very great peril. Yeah, and oh yeah. my God, we are disrespectful of nature and we still are. And it's and it's we, we need to wake up to this. And people are, but I, I kind of quite often do this as a rhetorical device. Do you believe in climate change? Everyone goes, Oh yeah, yeah. I says, I do you. What have you done? Because if you believe in it, you should by this point be taking up arms and marching in the government because seriously if you're not if you if you really believe in climate change then what's happening and what we are doing shouldn't begin to be even nearly enough for you and you should be petrified yeah, yeah. saying that uh robin you sound pretty well in sync with what the what the queen thinks as well when she said that the other day about you know people who get together and talk but they don't do anything that's just what everybody's saying now that's if, yeah. If, if if in my misery um, over this subject, <laughs> among others, if in my misery over this subject there's something else that's cheered me up a little bit, it's that, and I'm talking about in Scotland, we're only talking about in the last few weeks, but finally a debate is breaking out in Scotland where over the last few weeks people are actually saying, yeah, but where's the action? Now, I am so glad for that because Scotland is deluding itself that we're leaders. In any sense that Scotland is leading, it's smoke and mirrors or luck. So targets don't count for anything. You know, they're just, they're just things that they break later. The only reason that Scotland's got such a good performance on any matters environmental at all is because we're extremely lucky to have phenomenal amounts of land and crazy amounts of renewable energy resources. Yeah. So well, yeah, we, and, and I mean, that's the other, that's the kind of reverse side of what you were saying about the power that's in, you know, a wave coming in out at sea or the swell out at sea. Actually, if you can harness that power, we've been in a really, really fortunate position. We've been trying to do something serious about marine energy for 25 years now. Now, I keep 
saying to people, you think about what's changed in 25 years, you know, the internet. Think about the technology, technological breakthroughs that have been made in the last uh, 25, 30 years. And then ask yourself, and then think about the technological breakthroughs that have been made in Scotland over the years. We can all name them if you were born here, right? Then think about the really very poor amounts of money we've invested in marine energy research. And think yeah. hard about the fact that in 25 years, we haven't got a commercial operating system anywhere. And you say to yourself, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Why, why are we throwing money at garbage? So, for example, I suspect there was a bigger subsidy given to that new St. James's Centre development in Edinburgh than there's been to marine energy in, in the last decade. I, I would need to double check, but if you do a web search for public investment in marine energy in Scotland, it's 10 million here and 10 million there. They gave 65 million to that shopping mall. So I have this uh, awful sense that we are just sitting here talking about how great we are, oh. living off the fact that you have to be mad not to put a wind turbine up in Scotland. I mean, really, it's free money. So we've put quite a lot of them up. We've generated quite a lot of energy. We pat ourselves in the back and away home. And it's not good enough. It's not even nearly good enough. We need to wake up. We yeah. need to wake up. Yeah, yeah. So am I right? Yeah, I think you mentioned to me uh, last week that um, Commonweal has observer status at COP26. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So tell tell us a bit about what that what that in, in, don't, involves. I don't really know. We just applied. It means we can go to the green zone, but no, the blue zone. It's what oh it yeah. Means. Well, it's only you know no no one's no one's going to get into the, the, the now, blue zone. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you a secret. We never made this public because we try very hard not to be petty or, or miserable in Commonweal. But <laughs> see, on the day that the UK government announced that COP was coming to Glasgow. We booked the science center because we're fly, right? When you've got any money, <laughs> you've got to be clever, right? So on that day, we said they're coming to COP. We've done this before. Let's you know, they're coming to the SECC. Let's get the place across the road. So we had it all booked, and then it got taken off us because the Scottish government's Scottish running government it. Came in. But then it got ta it got taken off them as well, didn't it? And there was a debate. I can't remember. I was so bitter when they took it off us. I stopped. <laughs> I feel like the wee kid in the class, they've nicked my sweets, and so they can all fight <laughs> over it all they want. I don't care anymore. But we, so we'd been at some of the planning meetings. And I've got to say that early on, as a kind of, um, what can I say, as a sop to the fact that we just had our ball nicked off us. And <laughs> I've got to say that it wasn't me that did it, it was another member of the team. But I've got to say, we came away feeling a bit, mm, I don't know about this, because it was coming across like a big energy expo, like a big, it, the purpose of it was, big corporations selling green gold rush stuff. And for those that, if you're not familiar with the phrase, one of the things that is kicking about about in theories at the moment is, in, in, in discussion at the moment, is this idea of a green gold rush, which is every chancer with the technology yeah. is now yeah. out doing Silicon Valley IPO offers and their amazing new... So there's this idea that what you've got now is another dot-com boom, but with just endless numbers of green technologies. And... I can't begin to tell you how wrong that is as an approach. It's not new technologies. It's old technologies, which will save us. I'll probably come on to that. But so uh, all I can say is that we applied to get a Zebra status because one of the energy team thought it would be a good idea. So we did. We got it. 
and I've got my ticket, so I'm going for a nosy next week once I've worked out how the hell you get in. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, that's it. I, the, the the business is across the road, so across the river. So, you know, I'll stick my head out and think, well, I hope they do something over there. But I've struggled to get massively excited about yeah, another yeah. expo. Yeah, I, I had a look. Unfortunately, by the time I discovered that you could get tickets for the Green Zone, it was too late and all the tickets, well, all the things that I looked at was interested in weren't available any longer. But I could imagine if you've got a free ticket to go in and, and uh, wander around, um, you know, you could end up talking to some, well, like-minded people, I think, presumably. Unfortunately, that's one of the joys of common meals. I get to talk to like-minded people all the time. And all we do is we sit around in rooms saying, what are these bastards doing? <laughs> so I don't, you know, it's... it's the... You can wander around the green zone then and find, you'll probably find that they they oh, it's like therapy. say the same thing. And that's what I'm saying, it's like therapy. <laughs> frustrated people who actually believe that the rapid climate change action is necessary from all over the world can get together and share each other's pain. That'll be, I mean, that is something that we can, well, we can do. Well, yeah, that, 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 that's true, actually. And I mean, for all that, you know, there's a lot of talk on the around the media and, you know, from, well, I was going to say Westminster, but not just Westminster, Um, you know, about is COP26 going to be a success and or it needs to be a success. And it got me wondering about what a success would actually look like because I mean I know caught what was it 21 back in 2015 the Paris one well certainly there did seem to be you know an achievement it seemed like it was an achievement at the time and when when I read that the headlines at least of it it was about you know keeping to 1.5 degrees I mean back in 2021 I thought we're not going to keep to one point we, 2015 it was Paris it? I COP yeah. 21 2015 Keep stick to 1.5, keep it to below 1.5 degrees above industrial, pre-industrial. <laughs> I thought we're it, look, it's built in. We, it's going to be more than that already. These things. Right. Here's my here's here's my question. Right. So Paris, COP 21. Yeah, that was it. Uh, right. Tip top. Where was COP 20? Where was COP 22? Uh, well, one of them was in Krakow. Krakow in Poland. That might that was a subsequent one. Don't know it was where a the previous one was. Right. My point being, everyone can remember Rio Cop. Nobody can name the next fifteen or <laughs> twenty. Right. Then they can name the Paris one. Nobody can name any of them ones since. And now they're all talking about Glasgow. So the question is, out of twenty six cops, there were two which have been really significant. Is Glasgow going to be the third of them? Don't don't get the impression that cops meet regularly in a big breakthroughs. They don't. No. Cops meet annually and you get one big breakthrough a decade. Yeah. And I'm afraid, is there any sign that Glasgow's going to be one of them? And heartbreakingly, the answer's no, there's no sign. I mean, the Chinese aren't coming. Well, they are, but they're not, not properly. And um, f for anybody that doesn't know, the host nation is holding the jackets for the negotiations. So it's the host nation who is driving the negotiations forward. And that means that the success or otherwise of COP, it doesn't end with the Johnson administration, but it begins with them. Yeah. And it's facilitated by them. Now, they aren't really... I mean, I, I've got to say, they're not, they're not the world's worst government. And, and I know I'm not supposed to say this, but for climate change, they're not the world's worst yeah. government. 
there, there's much worse than the Boris Johnson administration. The recent, the recent announcement, I mean, I've got some major concerns with it. Chunks of it are, that are kind of bollocks. But completely honest with you, given that the Scottish government's plan has been described as being on the fringes of credibility, the, the UK government's plan's nay worse than Scotland's, really. So they're not the worst, but they're not the, how can I put it, they're not the serious-minded evangelical head-knocking-together government that we need to get something out of COP26. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the problem. Yeah. And then from there, you've got all the usual problems, which is China's economic development means it needs energy faster than it can produce, get its renewables in place. And Australia continues to be the dark heart of all evil on climate change. Uh, it's the country that scuppers all the agreements because it's coal industries. They, they supply a lot of China's yeah, coal. Yeah. And all of these dynamics are still in play. European Union's a mess just now. They're not united in these issues. They're arguing over them. So who's driving it? Uh, one of the things I always say is political change doesn't happen. Political change is made to happen. So if you want to know, is it happening? You've got to point to somebody and say, not, not a person. You've got to point to something and say, they're making it happen. Certainly not the free market. They're they're just trying to work out how to get hold of the green, you know, the green dollar. Yeah, and um, money. It's not the UK government. It's not the European Union. Biden's been comparatively admirable on this, but I mean, he can he can't get his own party round this properly. Um, you know, still niggling over whether it's going to be. 3 trillion or 2 trillion or 1.5 trillion that they're actually going to spend on it like it's just a toss of a coin but pick a number we'll we'll do that he's not coming here to drive this and like i say it's so important that we've the full buy in of china if we're going to do anything so i'm not hopeful but no. then but then i gave up on this idea i know this is this next thing i'm going to say is controversial but I don't believe there's a global solution to climate change. I haven't believed that there's a global solution to climate change for a long time now. There are lots and lots of local solutions to climate change. So do you know how everyone says climate change is a global problem? Not the causes. The causes are lots and lots of specific local problems. I tried to point this out. If you want to look at the impacts of climate change, they sweep around the globe. If you want to look at the causes of climate change, well, you can pinpoint them right down to an exhaust pipe or the roof of a house. Or a forest that's being burnt down. A forest down. that's being burnt down, yeah. peat that's being dug up, and you yeah. know, natural natural carbon sinks that are being dug up and yeah. removed, electricity generating plants. Remarkable amounts of the carbon come from remarkably small numbers of places. Um, it's a local problem, not a global problem. It's not a, it's, it's about cleaning up your, so it's kind of like saying, um, my street has a rat problem and I say, no, every house in your street has a, you need to put your rubbish out problem. That That's what we've got here. Yes, there's rats. And I mean, this was a real example. I knew somebody who there was, there was two or three houses that just went up in a place that just weren't looking after the back and it was, 
it was encouraging rats. And you can see this wasn't a matter of every member of the street had to get together for a, a, a neighborhood summit at which they agreed a tax rise to disinhibit the appearance of rats. The three houses that were manky had to clean up their back gardens. We are the manky house. We need to clean up our back garden. It's not a global problem. It's a local problem, and we need to fix it locally. Is that way of looking at it, which seems pretty good way of looking at it to me, does that leave you feeling more optimistic that there, that there is a way through? Yes, that there is yes. A, yeah. You've been listening to episode one of There Is No Planet B with Robin McAlpine, interviewed by presenter Marlene Halliday for Indie Life Media Productions. The podcast was edited by Fiona McGregor and the music was by Scott Buckley. Join us again for episode two, where the conversation continues. Mm-hmm.